All right. Woo! Okay. Thank you. Um, so we're in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in his vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled, a voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene. Lord, thank you for the joy to worship together this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our Redeemer. I am uh, gifted with a truly terrible sense of direction. I got it from my dad um, because my mom is a petroleum geologist by training, and so she's really good with maps. I have all these memories as a kid of my dad stopping and pulling over to gas stations to ask for directions. And I would totally be like this too, if um, not for the advent of Google Maps. Um, like my mom, David has a really great natural sense of direction, so he finds it hilarious whenever we're out in a new place to uh, tell me to point to hard home because it takes me a really long time to think about it, and then I inevitably point in the wrong direction. So um, needless to say, uh, I'm very dependent on Google Maps whenever I'm driving to a new place, and that little blue arrow that tells me when and where I'm supposed to turn next. Um, it's very important to me um, because I don't hold maps very well in my head. So at least I know what the next direction is, and uh, I can do that. Uh, this step-by-step -step guidance within the context of a bigger plan uh, is exactly what the Lord does for Joseph in this passage that we're studying together this morning. Um, it help us, helps us to understand God's heart for how he leads us and meets us um, when we're navigating our life journey. I find these two chapters of Matthew we've been studying this month really interesting because unlike the rest of the gospel accounts, which are the four biographies of Jesus that we find in the Bible, Matthew uniquely gives us a glimpse of Joseph's life and his role as the earthly dad of Jesus. As a parent, you almost can't help but read this passage with fresh eyes. It's well known that Joseph was the father, earthly father of Jesus, that he was a carpenter, that they weren't very well off. We also saw two weeks ago that he was caught pretty off guard when he found out that his betrothed, Mary, was with child. We saw how he was lovingly getting ready to uh, divorce her quietly when the angel of God came and intervened. 
we saw that, um, you know, he was told that he was the son of God, that this was the son of God, and it helped Joseph to understand that, no, Mary hadn't cheated on him and to stay the course, which he did, undoubtedly with some major social repercussions. He was honorable, and most of all, he trusted God. He listened to God at the critical juncture when it would have seemed much easier not to. And we continue to see that theme play out in today's passage. We are told of three more times that Joseph listens to God and immediately takes action, even though they are not easy steps to take. And what we see so clearly from this passage is that the Lord's next step for us might be inconvenient. It might not be comfortable or happening at a good time, but that doesn't mean it's not God's will and not part of his bigger, much more wonderful plan. In verses 13 and 14, Joseph is told by the Lord, get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. It says that Joseph gets up and does that right away during the night. Some translations say that night, which means that he and Mary gathered everything they had, took up the baby Jesus, and embarked on a 75-mile journey to the border of Egypt on foot or donkey to live. It runs counter to some of the cultural depictions that we have, but uh, historians are fairly certain that Jesus was 6 to 18 months old, somewhere between 6 to 18 months old by this time. So they were traveling with a toddler. How many of us in here are planners? Any Myers, Briggs, Jays in the house? This situation would have been hard for anyone, right? But if unpredictable events or changes in the schedule are hard for you, this would have been super extra not fun. Granted, this was first century Bethlehem, and their sense of schedule and time different than us here in the Silicon Valley with our Google calendars. Um, they didn't have car seats or pacifiers or teething toys to pack, but it certainly was not convenient nor comfortable to set out in the middle of the night. They didn't have a chance to plan physically for the journey, to gather supplies for the four or five day trek, to prepare to move to another place to live for an indeterminate amount of time. They just had to go. And as a result, Jesus is saved from Herod's insanely paranoid violence, which was unfortunately entirely in character for Herod and in line with the violence of the times. Herod was a tyrant of a ruler, especially in his later years. He had many people killed including his wife and a few of his kids. He was on a rampage to exterminate any competition, which in his mind included this baby Jesus. So Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus left right away in the middle of the night at the Lord's prompting to go and live as refugees in Egypt. Refugees, not comfortable, not convenient, and yet within God's sovereign plan. We also see through this text that the Lord's next step for us could be a detour and still be within his wonderful plan. It says that after Herod's death, which most historians believe would have been no more than two years later, Joseph hears from the Lord in a dream again to get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he gets up, and they go, and they head back toward Judea, probably toward Bethlehem, but then Joseph finds out that Herod's son, Archelaus, has taken over. And this guy was known for being particularly ruthless. So Joseph is afraid. The Lord confirms what he's feeling with yet a third dream. 
and then contains a warning. And so they instead reroute back to Nazareth, where they're originally from, and where Jesus then grows up. We can't help but ask why God didn't just direct Joseph from Egypt straight to Nazareth, right? It seems kind of inefficient for him to have to go through all of that fear and discomfort, only to be warned and redirected again. In verse 22, it says, But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. This is the only time we hear of an emotion that Joseph has in this text. I love that Joseph's fear is mentioned because it reminds us that he's very human and that our emotions are part of our spiritual journey. This is particularly important for us to note here in the Silicon Valley, where rational database thinking is very valued, and it's good, right? But emotions are good also. We all have them. They're a part of how we relate to God, and God meets us in them. We see that through this detour, God meets Joseph in his fear and provides the third dream, and then very intentionally lands the family in Nazareth. The fact that they end in Nazareth is a fulfillment of what many prophets predicted hundreds of years before. You heard it in that song, right? What the prophets said, that Joseph would be a despised and rejected Messiah. Verse 23, so was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was an unremarkable town, unwalled, unprotected, with a bad reputation. John 146 records a asking, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? And on top of that, it's the place where Mary and Joseph were from, which means it's literally the only place where, Joseph, where Jesus would also have been regarded as an illegitimate son. Matthew's skillful writing serves as a reminder to us that the entirety of the Bible points to Jesus. He is referring to what prophets said and wrote down hundreds of years before Jesus' birth and how they are coming true in the early days of Jesus' life. There's a kid's Bible called the Jesus Storybook Bible where the author Sally Lloyd-Jones beautifully paraphrases Bible stories to help kids and adults see how the entire Bible whispers his name. Have you noticed that even when David has us in the Old Testament, which is the part of the Bible that is before the coming of Jesus, the message always resolves in Jesus and the gospel. Why is that? Because Jesus is the resolution of all the missteps, all the pain, all the self-centeredness that is contained in Scripture and in the arc of our own lives as well. This is also the reason we use the phrase spiritual journey so much. We hear us say every Sunday, Current is a community following Jesus together. You're welcome wherever you are on your spiritual journey because the steps we take along the way matter and are part of a bigger story. God cares of, about us finding and following him and then growing our faith and our trust in him along the way, about giving us experiences that prepare us to impact lives and to contribute to his kingdom for the sake of eternity. Joseph in this passage was not given all the details about the end game and what was going to happen with Jesus on the cross. God doesn't tell him what the journey is going to look like 10 steps later. He gives him enough to trust and follow in faith, to make the next turn, to follow the next direction, despite inconvenience and detours along the way. And as a result, Joseph holds a critical role in the story of eternity. The longer we journey, the more we realize that it's often the hard circumstances, the diversions, the seasons of waiting along the way 
that really mold and shape us in a way that nothing else could. Probably because it is in those moments we don't know what the end game is going to look like or feel like, and it requires faith and develops our trust in God's character and love for us. I've heard it said from those who have been through the very hardest of things you can imagine. Don't pray for a life of convenience or comfort. You might get it, and wouldn't that be too bad? This past Monday would have been my dad's 69th birthday. He went to be with Jesus six years ago. We were incredibly close. My mom jokes that I wasn't very athletic or coordinated as a kid because he was always holding me, and I never got a chance to develop any leg strength. As I became an adult, um, we developed that kind of father-daughter closeness where you disagree a lot because you're a lot alike and end up debating everything, but then you also take very seriously what the other person has to say. In 2011, at the age of 60, my dad was diagnosed very suddenly with uh, late-stage non-smoking lung cancer and given just a couple of months to live. It was a total shock because he's the last person that you would ever expect to get sick. He was vibrant, healthy, the guy that's always going to the gym. Um, David and I were living in Shanghai at the time. We had just found out we were pregnant with Caleb and making plans to stay for much longer. David had started working as a pastor at Shanghai Community Fellowship, which is the big expatriate church in the city. Um, I was still at Gap um, working and doing ministry with uh, local young professionals and starting to talk to friends about maybe transitioning to social enterprise work. We could see a future for us there. But we couldn't shake the fact that my dad was not a follower of Jesus. And the doctors were saying it was stage four, there wasn't a lot of time, maybe three to nine months. So we prayed about it and we felt God release us that it was okay to go. So we made the very sudden decision within two weeks to quit our jobs and move back to stay with my parents in San Diego for a while so we could spend time with my dad. This was quite inconvenient, a detour we didn't expect. I was pregnant, um, the economy was still recovering from a recession, and now both of us did not have jobs. Um, pretty soon after we came back, my dad made a decision to follow Jesus and was baptized the resolution of God working in his life for the previous 60 years. And for the remaining two years that God ended up giving him, began to tell every person that would listen about this hope that he had in Jesus. Watching my dad battle this disease and pass was the hardest, most painful and uncomfortable thing that I had been through up until this point in my life. We knew where he was going and we could rejoice that we would see him again but we grieved hard when he left. And it struck me within just a few days of his passing that I was pretty much exactly half his age, which meant that I could very well be more than half done here. I remember sharing with friends at the time that I was questioning everything. My work, was it meaningful? Was I focusing on stuff that really mattered every day? I found that my eyes were turned in fresh ways to eternity, and so trying to live for what mattered and what would last became newly and freshly really important. There are many factors to anything that we do in life, but David and I really believe that it was my dad getting cancer and dying that God used to detour us back from China and then to seed our openness and readiness a year later to jump off the proverbial cliff when God called us to start a church. In a very real way, God brought current to be, and we have the joy of worshiping him together today because of an inconvenient, 
unexpected and painful detour. It's highly unlikely that before Jesus came to be with him as his son, Joseph would have ever imagined his life to be as action-packed, as scary, and as unbelievably impactful for all of eternity as we can see it to be looking back today. When God is with us, when we have Jesus with us, it means we are on a journey where our everyday lives are all of a sudden filled with immense purpose and the opportunity to participate in the big God story that is written, starting from this book here, in and through the redeeming of our lives as we follow Jesus, and all the way into eternity. If you think back on your own story, perhaps you can identify an inconvenient detour that has led you to where you are now on your spiritual journey. If you can identify it, would you share it with someone in the church family, even today, so that we can thank God together with you for it? The famous preacher Charles Spurgeon says it beautifully this way, I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. That rock is Jesus. Perhaps right now you are battling a wave or experiencing a detour or a waiting season in your life that feels so inconvenient and uncomfortable and even painful. The encouragement from this passage is to see that God can be trusted with the journey, that just because we can't see what's beyond this next turn, just because we don't know what is three steps out, doesn't mean it's not part of a beautiful plan woven for us to participate meaningfully in the kingdom of God. He holds the map, and he holds us. Of course, all of this pales in comparison to the greatest, most inconvenient, and uncomfortable detour of all time, which is God sending Jesus out of heaven to come live among us, to take all our wrongs, past, present, and future, onto himself, such that justice could prevail on the cross, and we can have the hope of heaven. Scripture is clear that this was a painful detour, but also God's redemptive plan for mankind through his Son. Perhaps you are here today, and you've never made a decision to accept this redemption to follow Jesus, to believe that this detour Jesus made out of heaven was for you. Maybe you've been coming for a while, have started helping on one of our teams, but haven't yet taken that next step because it feels uncomfortable or inconvenient. Maybe you don't know if your family will approve, or it's the opposite. You grew up in the church, but never really made your own decision to follow Jesus. This passage is for you, too, because you've already started your spiritual journey, and it's no accident that you are sitting here with us today. If you look back, is there an inconvenient detour that brought you here, too? Jesus invites you to take the step into following him, to surrender and trust that he has a bigger plan that the step is weaving into and a role for you to play. If you would like to make this decision today, I invite you to mark something on your connection card or let one of us know that you took this step. We'd love to pray with you and support you in it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you hold the map and that your plan is good. Lord, would you help us to trust you with our lives, and would you help us to find our hope in you this morning? We love you. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.